the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com.
never failing friend, unchanging God, eternal Savior. You are faithful, Lord, never wavering guide, unending source, ageless creator. You are faithful, Lord. Oh, you are faithful, Lord. You are faithful, Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Exodus, the 19th chapter. I'll begin reading to you verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up to the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Exodus 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. And then God spoke all these words in chapter 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall make no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses the name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, 
But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your your son or your daughter, nor your maidservant or your manservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that in them is. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant, or his maidservant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And when, and when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have this God speak to us, or we shall die. The message the Lord has given me to share with you is how to be happy. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we want to be a happy people. But, Lord, happiness just seems to elude us. Something always to be grasped after. Oh, Lord. Today, would you do a work of happiness in our heart, of joy, and would you make it real? I pray in your holy name. Amen. That was quite a show God put on, wasn't it? Light, sound, action. I mean, it was drama first class. You don't get that kind of drama on Broadway. This was real. The fire was real. The smoke was real. There was no smoke machine. I mean, this was milded rocks. The wind was blowing. The trumpets were going. They thought they were going to die that instant. God did all of that to scare them into obeying him. It worked as long as the trumpet was blowing. And then they went about their wicked ways. So always God's people were looking for that next great demonstration. Give me a Mount Carmel. Let me see the fire come from heaven. Then I'll be scared and fall on my face. We want a great sign that God is among us. And the great sign and the great miracle only lasted until they got home after lunch. Then they were back feeling very secure because drama only happens in the theater. I'm free when I go home. So God said there has to be another way. He said, maybe if I go down and I'm just born as a baby among them, maybe if I let them hold me in their arms, maybe if I grow up among them, and then maybe if I just go and sit down on the mountain and instead of smoking it, I just speak to him gently, softly. So that's what he did in Matthew, the fifth chapter. This time the, the grass wasn't burning. The trumpets weren't blowing. It was just Jesus and the birds, insects, and lots of people. And they were just there to listen as he spoke gently to them 
but with great honesty. Not sentimental stuff. Straight on. Straight up. Honest. This is the sermon where Jesus tells us what it really means to be a Christian. Just like he showed the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. This is what it means to follow me. But he did it with all the drama. Now he does it with no drama. Just sits quietly and talks with them. And he begins every commandment with, thou shalt not. No. Now he says, you want to be happy? Here it is. You want to be blessed? You want to have me with you as that sacred inner voice? I'll go with you. I'll come off that mountain and I'll come and jump right into your life. And I'll speak to you all day. I won't speak to you with smoke and fire anymore. I'm just going to speak in a small, still voice. I'm going to prompt your heart by the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes I'm upset with this. Sometimes I wish he'd blow a trumpet again. Sometimes I wish he'd put the show on for me. Sometimes I wish he'd just scare me into doing what I'm supposed to do. And sometimes I wish he'd do it to you. But that was old covenant. Now he comes quietly on cat's feet, speaks gently to us. The truth. Nothing but the truth. Listen to his first be happy attitude. How happy or blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a command. What's he saying? Well, the word poor in the Greek is clear. It's a person who has no ability to improve their situation regardless of how hard they try. What I want you to notice is that these beatitudes are building blocks. You can't move to number two until you finish number one. They're building blocks. And the place where holiness begins is recognizing I can't be holy. Holiness begins by recognizing I'm at the end of my own strength and my own power and my own ability. That's where all holiness begins to grow in our lives. I want to muster up the last ounce of energy I have and do it in my strength. And the Lord is saying, lay your strength down. You can't get there with your strength. You remember the, the man who stopped beside the road with an old farmer and asked the farmer for directions? And the farmer took out a hat and he scratched his head and he said, I'm sorry. You just can't get there from here. You just can't get there from here. Well, you can't get to heaven in your strength. There has to be a place where we come to an end of all of our ability and all of our confidence and all of our expectations and all of our dreams where we finally have just had it. We're fed up. We can't get there from here. I wish I'd learned that early, but I've spent most of my life thinking that if I kept searching, I could get there from here. But I can't. This pride 
reveals itself primarily in an inner sense of self-importance. Now, self-importance takes on two faces. One says, I'm nobody, but I'm going to be somebody. And the other face takes on, I am somebody, therefore treat me like somebody. <laughs> you know, mom and dad, don't talk to me that way. I'm somebody. Mom and dad, son, don't talk to me that way. I'm your parent. I'm somebody. Well, there's some place where everybody has to be laid down. And it's, son, don't talk to me that way because I'm standing in the place of Jesus Christ. I'm standing under his authority and under his power. Now, here's the consequence if you don't obey. See, that's a very different approach than getting up in the face and saying, I'm going to take you out if you don't obey. I mean, that's a whole different approach. I mean, there has to come a place where mom and dad, sons and daughters, family members lay it all down and say, look, I don't walk under my own authority anymore. I walk under the authority of Jesus Christ. I'm nobody, but he's somebody. Despair rises up in our hearts. Depression floods our spirit. And all of this is because we've been disappointed one more time in our ability to accomplish what we thought we should be able to accomplish. See, it's easier to be depressed and in despair than be on our face and recognize we could never do it from the beginning anyway. So it's as though we're pumped up and we're going for it, or we're in despair and discouragement. So Jesus is saying, okay, you want to be happy. I can tell you how to be happy. Just lay it all down. Lay down your issues. Lay down your angers. Lay down your bitterness. Lay down your agendas. Lay down your thinking you can do it. Lay down your, your demands. Just, just lay it down. Come to an end where now you go into the prayer closet and your prayer is, oh God, if you don't do this, I'm going to die. If you don't rescue me, I will not be rescued. If you don't reach out and change what's happening in my family, our family isn't going to make it. If you don't reach out and interfere, we're not going to make it. We need you to interfere. We're asking you, no matter what you have to do, step into this situation. Now I can step back from that, and I can have peace in my heart. I've given it all to Jesus. See, there will be no earnest heart cry for Jesus as long as we think we have resources left at our disposal. There will be no heart cry for Jesus as long as we think we have left at our disposal those resources that can accomplish what we desire to accomplish. If you think you can make the sales, if you think you can accomplish the political network at work, if you think you can do what you're supposed to do, if you think you can make it through college, if you think you can make it on the job, then you have no need of Jesus. You're God. Go ahead. Live your life. But when you run out, Jesus can run in. So the first be happy attitude is, I don't have anything left. It's either Jesus or nothing now. 
I've given everything up for him. I've given him my family. I've given him my marriage. I've given him my money. I've given him my time. I don't have anything anymore. I simply now am his slave. I will do what he tells me to do without an attitude. It's that attitude, isn't it, that's the worst part. Now, I'll do what you tell me, God, but what are you going to do for me? No. I don't have anything left. Now, I want to tell you what begins to happen when we begin to assume this posture. Look at the second one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When we begin to come to an end of ourself, there are going to be tears shed. If you have not yet shed those tears, you're not yet at the end of yourself. Pray that God will bring you to the end of yourself so you can begin to weep before him. Because as long as you think you have another little hidden bag of tricks, you're not going to weep before the Lord. But now, let me tell you what has happened in my life. Even this morning as I was in the prayer closet, why should the God of the universe have to bend down and speak into my heart and rebuke me for sin? I'm saying, Lord, you've told me that so many times. I'm embarrassed that you have to come and say it one more time. Forgive me, Lord. How many of you have had the Holy Spirit speak into your heart regarding something and you've pushed it off, you've walked away, and he had to come back and speak it again to you? And then you pushed it off. And then he had to come back and speak it again into your heart. Oh, and he comes with such mercy and such kindness, and he speaks in such a gentle way in our heart. Sometimes I wish God would just be mean, but he's not mean. He's merciful. He's tender. He's compassionate. He doesn't will that his children should walk in discipline. You know, I I remember those times when my dad used the razor strap on me. But you know what I remember more? Those times when he said to me, Ray, you deserve a whipping. But instead, I'm just going to let you know you really disappointed me. Now go on, get out of here. Oh, I'd go out and I'd weep. I could handle the whipping and not shed a tear. That was my point of pride. Hurt me as bad as you want. You're not going to make me cry. But oh, when dad said, you deserve a whipping, Ray. But I'm not going to give you one. I love you, son. Now get out of here. Oh, oh. How many times God's done that with me? Taken me to the woodshed. I was sure I was going to die. And he said, you know, you deserve a whipping. And I go on, get out of here. The mercy of God. I have no way in human language to describe the, the width and the breadth and the depth of God's mercy. He has not judged us as he should have. He has not dealt with us as he should have. Had we been doing some of the things we've been doing back at Mount Sinai, we'd have been stoned to death. We'd be dead. 
I'm so glad Jesus came and just sat on that mountain and talked to us. Such mercy. And one of the signs that we begin to understand who God is, is we begin to see our wickedness and we begin to weep before him because we know what we deserve. And instead of getting that mercy and grace and love is being poured out into our hearts. See, that's why we're happy, because we're experiencing the love of the Father far beyond anything we should be experiencing. And he deigns to speak time after time into our spirit with gentleness and courtesy. You know, one of the things I've noticed about God, he just doesn't get up in my face. I mean, he could destroy me in a flash. But he doesn't abuse his power. Instead, he comes gently but firmly and he speaks his truth and he says, Please, Ray, do that. Don't do that again. Do this. He uncovers the depth. He doesn't cover it over and make pretend. You know, when I was a kid, We'd go out and catch possum. We'd bring them home. And of course, they'd play dead. So we'd hang them up on the clothesline. to Watch until they came to life again. Well, God doesn't play possum with us. He doesn't roll over and play dead with us. Instead, he comes and he speaks gently. And then he speaks again. It's like a wooing. It's like a calling. Now, please don't misunderstand me. God is not above giving us a whipping. I've had my share, maybe more than my share. Because hard-headed people generally get more than their share. But he comes gently. As we weep over our sin. The promise is we will be comforted. We will be comforted. Then he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. A man cannot be meek until he has laid down his strength. A man cannot be meek until he has seen his own sin. And wept over it. Now a man can be meek. Because he won't judge another brother. Because he's seen his own sin. He'll speak honestly. He'll speak the truth like Jesus spoke it. With gentleness but with firmness. He'll be pure with it. Because he has seen how his own strength could accomplish nothing. nothing. He has seen the great mercy of God, and it's made him weep over his sin. And now he can afford to be meek because he doesn't have anything in his heart to get up in the face of another person. That word meek in the Greek is an interesting word. It literally means to know when to be angry and when not to be angry. 
oh, is that an important lesson for us to learn? I'm always getting angry at the wrong time and at the wrong stuff. When the Lord wants me to get angry is when I see the devil beginning to come in and ravage. Now the Lord wants me to be angry and go to warfare prayer. Now the Lord wants me to come and pray, Lord God, intervene in this. Step into this situation. Don't allow this to continue. Stop it in the name of Jesus. Rebuke the devil. He's a devourer. I resist you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. It's knowing when to be angry and when not to be angry. But when I'm angry with my wife, I've gone all the way back to the very first level. And I have to start again and lay down all my strength. Because, see, Jesus isn't going to join me in being angry with my wife. I mean, why don't you try it next time? When you get angry at, at mom or dad or you get angry at somebody close, why don't you just start praying and say, Jesus, will you join me and, and be angry? Will you bring lightning down on so-and-so? See if you have a quickening in your heart and the presence of the Holy Spirit is with you. Or see if you're left alone, bare naked. No presence of God with you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you're not poor in spirit, you will not hunger after righteousness. There's no need for an arrogant man to be sanctified. Because he's got it all together. But a, a, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, who's willing to humble their heart, laying to lay down their strength, who are willing to weep over their sin and the way they've hurt others and broken relationships with others, if they're willing to be meek before the Lord, now they'll find like a, a powerful force growing up in them is a desire to be righteous. A desire to say, I don't want to walk this way anymore. I don't want to be filled with this darkness anymore. I need righteousness in my life. I can't walk without righteousness. And a great cry will go up from our hearts. Lord God, sanctify me wholly. I've wondered, Lord, why isn't there more of a cry in our fellowship for sanctification? It's because we're still too strong. We still have too much resource hidden away. So there's no need to cry out to God. Because we're righteous in our own standing. In our own eyes. We haven't seen yet the depth of the sin in our spirits. Ask the Holy Spirit to come gently into your heart and to bring his grace and to ever uncover all wickedness in your heart, uncover all malice, uncover all lying and cheating, uncover all gossip and bitterness, all league with the devil, all familiar spirits. Oh, you know, familiar spirits are wonderful playmates of the devil. Wonderful playmates of the devil. They're always going to agree with your flesh. They're always going to be leading you toward unconsciousness. They're always going to be leading you toward arrogance, uncleanness. 
Every time in Scripture an evil spirit is spoken of, it is always described by Jesus as an unclean spirit. So familiar spirits. You understand what a familiar spirit is? It's a demon power that we make friends with. It's a demon power that we play with. It's a demon power that we come in agreement with. You're right. I shouldn't be treated that way. I deserve better than that. Who's he think he is anyway? That's a familiar spirit. We're making a deal with the devil. Oh, it tastes sweet in our mouth. But it leaves us unclean. It leaves us with the residue of despair and discouragement, bitterness, hopelessness, and guilt. When we've been with Jesus, he never leaves us unclean. He always leaves us washed, purified. So today in your heart, check yourself. Is there a great cry arising from your spirit? Let me be clean. Let me be washed. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So you can't be merciful if you're not humble. You can't be merciful if you have not had your sins exposed. You understand who you are. And you've given up your own strength and power. Now you can afford. You notice what I said. Now you can afford to be merciful to others. And then blessed are the pure in heart, for they, they will see God. You know you're getting pure in heart when mercy flows naturally from your lips. When no longer does anger and hardness, harshness is gone. Judgments no longer are on your lips. Accusations are gone from your heart. You no longer walk in that wickedness. Now what flows from your heart is mercy for others. How can I be of service to you? You see it in the family setting. Son, how can I help you? Dad, how can I help you? Boss, what can I do to help? I'm not here as a master. I'm here as a servant. How can I serve you today? That's mercy welling up in our hearts. The old man says, look, I'm here to work. You pay me my fair pay. Don't mess with me. I'll do the job because I want the money. Or I want the power. Or I want the recognition. I'm here to get what I can get. Oh, when mercy starts to flow, how things change. You're going to fight with me about this? You know, I sell a car. He says, I, hey, uh, that was my customer. I want half that deal. Well, the big crybaby doesn't deserve a thing. Hey, sell your own cars. Mercy is flowing when you say, brother, I'd like to have peace with you. Why don't you take the whole deal? Take the whole deal? What do you mean, take the whole deal? 
well, now this guy is either an absolute idiot, stupid. Well, that's what the world calls Christians, isn't it? If there's no difference in our behavior and the world's behavior, if mercy is not flooding out of our soul, how can anybody tell we're Christian? If we're out there for us, and we're going for us, and it's survival of the fittest, how is that Christian? No, the Christian, Jesus says, is to go the second mile, to turn the other cheek. Well, I'll tell you what, it costs money to turn the other cheek. Costs time and energy and money to turn the other cheek. You know, people usually don't come up and slap you in the face. Today they come up and grab something. Oh, you need my cloak? Here, take my coat too. That's what Jesus said. See, it's the worldly person who says, I'm here to get what I deserve. <laughs> and it better be the way I expect it. I'll file a complaint against you. I'll sue you. What? Not Christians. That's not how we operate. Blessed are the pure in heart. Happy are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. See, you cannot be a peacemaker until you've dealt with your own sin. So many times, caught up in my own stuff, I've tried to intervene in a situation and bring peace about, and instead I just got my stuff mixed up with their stuff. <laughs> and then we had a real drama. <laughs> now, you know, you listen to two people, as they're arguing, well, I think you're right. I'm going to get on your side. A peacemaker doesn't get on a side. A peacemaker calls both parties over to make peace on his side. You understand what I'm saying? A peacemaker gets peace by having the two opponents die. When the two opponents die, two dead people don't fight. Peace is achieved through dying, not fighting. So the Lord is saying, happy are the peacemakers, or happy are those who teach people how to die. No fights in the cemetery. Always peaceful in the cemetery. So if there's a fight going on in your household, there's some dying that's needed in your household. Can I say that again? If there's some fighting going on in your household, there's some dying that's needed in your household. And when you come to Jesus for peace, he's going to say, why don't you all just die? Get on the cross. Lay it down. Let it go. Remember when Dad Yoder died? Oh, Mom Yoder was upset. She went in his closet and found out he didn't have a nice white dress shirt. She was so upset. She said, I'm not going to bury Harold in a, in a white shirt that's not a pretty one. I went and got him a white shirt. 
Everybody was happy then. But you know, through all of that, Dad Yoder never said a word. He didn't care if he had a white shirt on. He was dead. I could almost hear him laughing. Because if he'd have been alive, he wouldn't have cared either. We're called to be peacemakers by asking people to die and to be born again as followers of Jesus Christ. Do you notice what the next step is? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you begin to be a peacemaker by asking people to just die, they're going to be real angry with you. And they're going to start persecuting you. And Jesus is saying, then you'll know you're blessed. Sometimes people will come and I'll get a phone call. Oh, this is happening and this is happening and this is happening. And I'll begin to shout, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This is wonderful news. You're being persecuted for righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, that's a badge of honor. To be persecuted for Jesus? Do you know how many times I've been persecuted for my ego? How many times I've been persecuted for thinking I was right and they were wrong? Using my gift of intuition like a sharp knife to go in and cut them? No, that's not the persecution spoken of here. That's deserved persecution. Jesus is saying to us, as you make peace with people, as you call them to die, you call them to lay down everything at my feet, you're going to be persecuted. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. How salty are you today? The measure of your saltiness is directly proportionate to how much you're trusting in your own strength. Saltiness comes from step number one. Dying to our strength, laying it down, waiting upon the Lord. That's just the first part of Jesus' sermon. I invite you this afternoon when you go home to read all the rest of chapter 5, 6, and 7. This is just the light stuff. This is the intro. It gets serious after this. See, Jesus wants a people who look like him, who walk like him, who talk like him. He wants a people that when he finally sees us face to face, we'll be alike. We'll be blood brothers. Today, has the Holy Spirit been speaking gently to your heart? And have you been resisting him? Has Jesus been calling after your heart this week? 
and you've been resisting him. And you want this resistance to stop. Lord, you said in your word that the sinful mind is hostile to you. That the sinful mind is always resisting your Holy Spirit. Lord, we're asking as brothers and sisters today, we're asking Jesus, would you come in the power of your spirit and would you now break this wicked mind that would resist your Holy Spirit? Lord, would you break this resistance in our spirit to your spirit? Lord, would you cause us to no longer in any areas walk in our strength, but Lord God, trust you completely and wholly. Lord, would you cause your happiness to flood into our hearts as we just lay this down and we're no longer at odds with you. Jesus, we don't want to be at odds with you. We want to be wholly given into your hand, submitted to you, filled with your spirit, walking in obedience to your commands. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the gentle way you've been speaking to my heart this week and to my brothers and sisters. And I ask, Lord, that you would just encircle them with your presence and with your power. Lord, I ask that every person in this house would have the courage to lay down their strength and to trust you for an increase in this house of grace. I ask that your grace would uncover all wickedness, all darkness, all dishonesty. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would bring your grace, that your blood could wash us clean. Lord, there are confessions that need to be spoken. There are things that need to be taken care of in this house. I ask, Lord, that you would do that in your mercy. Lord, have your way in this house. And all of God's people said, Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, tonight my desire is that we could just come together from the very start and just set our focus, our hearts and our minds on the Lord Jesus himself. He's the reason we've gathered. He's the object of our worship. And I pray that we could encounter the Lord and be changed, be different when we leave than the way we were when we came. So let's just come together tonight and offer this song as a prayer and ask God to prepare us. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Pure and holy, tried and true, with Say
Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Thank you.